Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Dineko. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. So, since our last couple episodes have been a little heavy, given <laughs> the political climate, yeah. um, Kayla's going to take us tripping through time. So, <laughs> how far back are we going, and who is the subject? We are going back to the 5th century BCE. Very far back. Okay. I wanted to be as far away from right now as I could get. So here we are. Very good. Okay. So today's subject is Socrates. Who? Yes. Yeah. Who is Socrates? Tell me what you know about him. I know that he is a Greek philosopher. Mm-hmm. I know that he had some controversial opinions and that he was put to death. In what I fashion? Don't... He was poisoned. Uh-huh with hemlock hemlock yes very good so this is why we're talking about him i get it i get it but i don't remember it's been a while Uh so you're gonna have to refresh me because i don't remember why he was controversial and why he was put to death so take me there yeah well and i feel like maybe it's just me but i also was like oh socrates philosopher hemlock that's kind of what you know about him but mm-hmm. i also didn't know the details as to why like again i was like oh he was controversial and so he was killed but like you always know that there's like more behind it than that right right yeah so, so yeah take... i'm ready <laughs> okay i did a deep dive so here we go all right <laughs> okay so socrates was actually born just before democracy was established in athens And by the time he was an adult, he had lived through much of the trial and error failures of this early democracy, which is like crazy to be like, oh, he like saw the birth of like one of the first democracies. That's pretty cool. Right. And that definitely like shaped the person he became and the philosopher he Mm. became. His father was a stonemason and his mother was a midwife, which to me, I was like, okay, like skilled workers, manual labor, whatever. But that actually meant that he was fairly affluent and he led like a pretty comfortable early life. Because did were people typically not always had skilled jobs, like as you said, like especially maybe not both parents. So yeah. this was kind of a unique and gave him that status. Potentially. And this was during a time <clears throat> when we did have enslaved people and they weren't necessarily mm-hmm. like enslaved in the same way that like america has a history of enslavement but there were enslaved people in this democracy as well and so maybe it was like better off from like the very very bottom i don't know Mm -hmm. but he he was doing pretty well for himself his family was doing well he was educated by a slave tutor as a child which was i guess a typical upbringing and when he was 19 he just started hanging out with philosophers right (laughs) sure (laughs) and it seems like philosopher was just kind of a job that you could have just like you could be a mason or a painter and since socrates was a young man looking to find his way in life he just started hanging out with them as they discussed how to handle the baby democracy that was like you know trying and failing right in front of their eyes and they were all 
invested in the democracy working one way or another and that they were like if it works great if it doesn't we still have to take care of the people of athens so there was mm. like this almost patriotic like feel behind it where like we still have to take care of what happens either way no matter good bad or ugly right the and people are still going to need cared for right because athens was surrounded by other you know countries and cities that could come and try to take them over and try to you know say you're going to live our way of life we're going to enslave you but even even though that this is important and it was seen as like a job that you could have being a philosopher i just can't help but see socrates as like that trust fund kid living on his you know money from his father's estate and attending mm -hmm. college and just hanging out and doing whatever random crap with like older guys who just want to talk about philosophy like i don't i can't help i can but see, see that. him that way <laughs> i can see that picture very much as well well and just like what a what a silver spoon thing to be like oh, i'm gonna go be a philosopher and like very self-important to be like i'm 19 and i know what the fuck i'm talking about mm -hmm. and i am important Right. Like, very self-important <laughs> is kind of the vibe that I get. So I, I can see that. I and can see that, too. It's just another one of those, like, as I was reading the entire story, I was like, wow, people have really always just been people. Like, 19-year-olds have kind of always been the same, where they're like, I've seen a couple things in my day. And it's like, <laughs> right. you've seen a couple things? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, literally a couple. <laughs> literally a couple. But he did end up having to do more than just be a philosopher. He fought as a soldier for Athens during the war in Samos in 441 or 440 BCE when he was about 29 years old. And there was actually no period of two consecutive years during his life when Athens didn't vote to go to war with somebody. And oh. so... This was the first time that he served as a soldier, but not the last. And so he would serve as a soldier, come back, and be a philosopher. So okay, there was a lot of, I think, civic duty behind what he felt, like when he would come back and just be a civilian again. But I don't know. I guess I found it interesting because I didn't realize that he was ever a soldier. I guess I kind of I didn't was just know always that like, Yeah, he was just always the, the college student, you know, who you yeah, imagine being like. Yeah, just hanging out. Yeah. Talking, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe Talking even out being anti-war yeah 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 I, I honestly didn't know that so. right so he was beginning to make waves as a philosopher and like starting to stand out as maybe like tall poppy syndrome like he was making a name for himself and it wasn't always good but mm. he still was made to and obeyed the order to serve but he may also have been supported financially during this time still even as he's transitioning to being an adult and a philosopher he had some pretty nice weaponry and armor when he would serve as a soldier and so it seems like somebody was supporting him financially in order to be like an upper level supported soldier but when he would return to athens he led the frugal life that i think most people recognize him for where he didn't really wear nice clothes he lived in poverty he kind of like lived off the kindness of others which okay. is, I guess, it, for me, I think it shaped what I thought philosophers looked like, where it's like, oh, you're not making any money because you're just being the original hippie and you're hoping that because of the goodness that is supposed to exist in everybody mm -hmm. that you're philosophizing for, they'll help you. But it was mostly a self-imposed thing. <laughs> like, he, like he knew that he wanted to project this. Yeah, I think, or or he just wanted to be like, material matters mean nothing to me. Look at mm. how simply I live. Gotcha. Right. So after the first time he returned from war, 
I think that it makes sense that at least then he would want to live a simpler life or maybe he just he explained to people that he wanted to live a simpler life then because when he returned Athens was being devastated by a plague probably typhus but we don't really know okay so people were just dying in the streets he had returned from multiple wars you know since hitting the middle age so I guess this wasn't the first time he returned from war but one of the times he returned was right at a time where Athens was coming out of war and the people wanted to be like, look at how well off we are. Look at how well off we want to project Athens as being to the rest of the world. And so we need to show that Athens has money and Athens has class and Athens is doing well. And then you have Socrates who's like, people are dying in the streets and material matters like are not important. I'm going to live this simple impoverished life. And so I think that also was another step in him running against the current of what was expected of people who were supposed to be by now he's a figure in the community and so you have this figure in the community who's like live a simple life war sucks disease sucks and you don't need to have material items whereas everybody else is like no look at all this gold we have don't Mm -hmm. we want people to be intimidated by us right type thing um he was i mean he was uh self-aware you know i think that he has to be a lot of the stuff that I have seen that that says it's an account of the things he's said makes it seem like he's playing dumb, but that could also just be my interpretation of it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like you can interpret – I mean, there's there must be, like, missteps in translation and, like, just sure. things that have been lost to history. So you could interpret it either way, but I'm like, man, you had to have known what you were doing. You had to have known that you were sticking out. Yeah. And that people didn't like that you were talking to their children. Like, people um. really didn't like that this guy <laughs> was trying to influence their government by philosophizing about democracy, talking to their children, and just being a pain in the ass who was not going with what everybody expected for, like, what they considered to be the good of the community. Like, he had this idea of goodness, and they had this idea of good. But and they were very different. Very, very different. And gotcha. it also seems like he was just kind of a pain in the ass and was kind of verbally confrontational. I mean, that's something that I kind of remember learning. It was that he just, it was almost like he went, like you were saying, like he went against the grain for the sake of going against the grain. Yeah. Like just just to be obtuse, like for the sake of being obtuse. It seems like it. And like, again, people have always been people. And I have met so many philosophy bros that are just like this. And I'm like, man, you are the original one, and I kind of can't mm-hmm. stand you. Yeah, we all know them. <laughs> we all know. But so he lived this impoverished life. He didn't travel a whole lot like the other philosophers of his time did. They would travel around, and they would speak sometimes for fees. He never charged a fee to speak to people. But he thought that it was important to have his questions answered by the gods, which was something that most people in Athens thought was a priority was if you had a really burning question you could go to the oracle and you could have your question answered Mm. so he sent a friend of his to travel for him to the oracle at delphi to ask is there any man wiser than socrates and it may (laughs) this may be one of those mistranslations where maybe that's not exactly what was asked close enough though i bet (laughs) but people weren't happy with how this turned out the friend returned and announced that the god Apollo has said, had said, no, there were none wiser than Socrates. Mm. And so people were like, how could this man be favored by Apollo in this way? How could he be wiser than the Athenian Democrats running their government? 
And some even thought that this answer was blasphemous and that Socrates was just trying to, like, stir the pot and, like, say that the gods had lied, which is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big, especially in in Athens. Yes. Like, that's a big, that's a, <laughs> that's a big, big fucking deal. Yeah, people were not thrilled with this. <laughs> so how did that go? Well, he, uh put his foot in his mouth or maybe he just knew what he was doing and his mouth was just wide open mm. but he sought to prove the veracity of this claim and Plato would later describe it in a document written years after the trial that recounted Socrates's testimony on his own behalf and Socrates apparently in this trial said that he could not believe this to be true that he was the wisest man that couldn't possibly be true but he didn't think the gods would lie either. And it was his friend who had gone, so how could he be the one to spread this misinformation? Because he didn't come back with the answer. The friend came back with the answer, right? right. So now Socrates is burdened <laughs> with this need to know how this could be true. And so first he starts talking to politicians. There's this politician that he's like, I think this guy's really smart. I should go talk to him. And I should see, like, I should pick his brain and see if he is smarter than me. And that'll su settle it. And he determines that that guy's an idiot. And he goes on to other politicians and other politicians. And he just, he says that they're all just stupid. They think uh. they're smart and they're all just stupid. And so then he moves on to poets and playwrights and lyricists. And he was like, you know what I found? They're all stupid. Well, and this so, is not going according to plan. And so what I think the gods meant is that I am wise because I know that I'm not the wisest man, which makes me the wisest man. You see? Uh, you see? Yeah. 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 And this was said during his trial. So just keep this in mind later okay. because, damn, not the thing that you should have said. Yeah. <laughs> but this whole, like, I only know that I know nothing is, like, one of his central tenets as well. And so this plays right into the philosophy that he was trying to spread. That I know nothing. Like, and I, and I do remember that. And I, but... But to take it so far as the, like, I am the wisest because I know <laughs> I know nothing. Like, that's like, mm, yeah. Eh, eh, eh. Are you sure that you want to <laughs> yeah. go there right now? You want to double down on that? Yeah, uh, and he does too. But the other thing that made people really upset, aside from him going around from, like, respected individual to respected individual being like, you're a dumbass, was that other young men in Athens saw him doing this and they saw the debates he was having with them where they really were like, oh, Socrates walked away from that one right again. He won this argument again. And then they would go and they would have these arguments with their authority figures in mm. their lives, right? And so, like, authority figures were clearly, like, not thrilled that this was the pattern among the young men in Athens. Yeah, they're not, they're not going to be a fan of that. Right. And like, I'm not a fan either of people who are like devil's advocate and they're just like there to argue. But I'm also a fan of civil disobedience. Like, yeah, question authority. Sure. So sure. Like question it. But they're like, I, I would say, like, have a point to the question. Like you yes. said, not just like have a point. Mm -hmm. Try to have understanding. Try to get to know the other side. Try to get to know more about yourself. Mm -hmm. Not just be like, you know what? I'm going to stir shit up today. Let's go, baby. <laughs> let's fucking like, go. Let's go. <laughs> like, that I think is the difference. So this, these were really the points that like started to grate on people. 
towards the end of his life, Socrates fought in the Peloponnesian War. He had three sons, and he did have three sons towards the end of his life. One was an adult by the time he went to trial, but two of them were children. Mm. And when he got to trial, he was 70 years old. Oh, shit. Yeah. He he did a lot of stirring up before before he stirred his final pot. Right. And he continued to rot to the minds of the youth with his philosophies. When Sparta went to war against Athens and the democracy was suppressed by Spartan oligarchs, Socrates didn't support either side, but he also didn't denounce either side. And that also really grated on people. He never served in government and he never served as a politician, but he did have an elected role on council in Mm. Athens for a time. And so he... Aside from being just like this figure of the community who was kind of an irritating nuisance, he also was in a position of power for the city for a period of time. Mm. So he was well known by more people than he knew. Like he definitely stood out. Gotcha. Right. Just to sum up some of his philosophies, because we're going to get into the trial now. I've already said, you know, I know that I know nothing. He was into the Socratic seminar method where kind of everybody gets a chance to talk rather than just, like, one guy talking at you and telling you, like, Mm. this is how it is. Um, And he was also into Socratic definition, which, like, bogs down so many of the documents that I had to read for this episode. (laughs) But it's important. Like, it's important to – the Socratic definition just means, okay, what do you mean when you say good? Like, let's define our terms and then let's figure out how we get there. It's important. And I it was – important at the time like nobody had done it which is kind of a weird thing to be like yeah nobody had defined their terms but you know fifth century bc we're still little baby humans (laughs) still figuring (laughs) shit out right so those are like some of the important things that socrates did that pissed people off so socrates is asked to come to trial in 399 bce there were no public prosecutors who tried cases at that time on behalf of the state. So what would happen is that private citizens would bring criminal charges to a government official called the King Archon, who would then determine if the charges were truly unlawful. And if the charges were unlawful, the case would proceed to trial with a jury. And juries were all men, but they were also huge. And for Socrates, there was about 500 jurors at his trial. That is a big step away from 12 uh, that we're accustomed to. And it seems like maybe back then people were actually interested in being on the jury instead of doing everything fucking possible to get out of jury duty, like seems to be the trend nowadays. But that is a lot of people. Possibly, but some of the issues with this, I do like that it is such a large number because it is actually meant to be a representative sample size of the population, I assume. Right, not because that's not possible with 12 people. Right, right. Like, it's just not. But our juries now, in the United States at least, if you know either party, you're immediately, like, dismissed Mm -hmm. from serving on the trial or the jury because you're going to be biased in some way. Like, right. you, you, you might be biased because you've heard their name, you read the name in the papers, and you definitely think they killed that kid. Or they were your coach, and they could not have ever killed that kid. Right. So with Socrates' trial, there were 500 people, and they basically all knew him because they were from Athens, and he had already served as council member there. And he was a big deal, and everybody knew him. He So, yeah, that's, I mean, the the water is tainted. 
Yeah, and it's not like I don't think they were vetted. Like, okay, we have two hundred and fifty people who know him and generally mm-hmm. like him, and two hundred and fifty people who don't. It was just five. Here's five hundred people. people. Yeah. So gotcha. That wasn't great. <laughs> and so what? What were his charges exactly? Like I said, mm-hmm. it's been a long time since Philosophy One Hundred and One. So. What were the charges that he was up against? Sure. Okay, so a man named Meletus, who Socrates did not know personally and had never met, he was the one who brought the criminal charges forward, he and two other guys, but Meletus was the main person bringing the charges. And he claimed that Socrates was guilty of impiety, which might better be read as heresy, but it depends on the translation. And that could also cover a lot of things, whether you read it as impiety or heresy. There was no definition, and not just because Mm. they weren't trying to, like, get on board with Socrates and his Socratic definitions. There was just no definition of impiety. It's kind of like how, you know, the Scarlet Letter, like, she was charged with adultery. Well, what could adultery mean, and how can you be charged with that? Right. So it it could mean a lot of things, and because it could mean a lot of things, the trial actually had Meletus define what he meant by piety and impiety, and then describe how, based on those definitions, Socrates was guilty. And Melites asserted that he was guilty of three kinds of impiety. He did not recognize the gods recognized by the city. He invented new divine things or new gods. And he Mm. corrupted the youth. So those were the three main charges. And it is possible that there were more political motivations, but it was easier to say, oh, he's he's impious, he's a heretic, rather than bringing forth the political things that they had problems with. Because Socrates didn't like the Athenian democracy, or at least he didn't appear to like it when he was in public and philosophizing. Mm -hmm. But he also taught politically subversive doctrines to traitors and criminals, including one of the guys who Plato was related to was also the leader of the 30 tyrants, which was the oligarchy that overthrew the democracy in Athens in 405 BCE. This was six Mm. years before the trial. It was a very tender subject. And it was when Socrates was like, oh, I'm not choosing sides here. But one of my students is the leader of this movement. And (laughs) one of my students' stepdads is the leader of this movement. Yeah. Yeah. And he also also taught another guy who was prosecuted in Athens in 415 BCE for religious crimes. But that guy actually escaped and engaged in treason during the Peloponnesian War. So Mm. they're just not super keen on the people who are aligning themselves with Socrates' ideas either. And he's spreading these ideas to the youth of Athens in a time when they've just recovered their democracy from an oligarchy who he kind of, like, encouraged to a degree. (laughs) Yeah, things were not good for him. But, well, despite all this, he wasn't charged with sedition, though. And so if it was political, it would make sense for them to be like, oh, you were behind this uprising. Mm -hmm. We should charge you with sedition. But they didn't. They charged him with heresy. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. How did the trial go? I mean, I know we know he went to death, but was it a a close win? Was it? Um, Kind of. Kind of. There's a couple votes that had to happen. So after they defined impiety... They also got to decide the punishment, which I guess was fairly typical, was that if you came to trial with something that didn't have a rigid definition and then you Mm -hmm. defined it, you also got to say, okay, based on my definition, here is the punishment for it that Mm -hmm. I think is appropriate. And so Melodus proposed death 
And they may have known that going into the trial. I'm not entirely sure. He may have, they, they might have said, okay, King Archon, here's my definition. Here's the punishment. And so Socrates went into it knowing it was essentially a death penalty trial. Gotcha. But when it was kind of a variable definition and punishment, the defense was also allowed to determine, like, to suggest a counter penalty. Okay. And so there's a couple different votes that have to go through. The jurors have to determine if they think that the person is guilty according to the definition, and then if they deserve the punishment, and then they have to vote on the punishment. Mm. So in that first vote, the jurors knew that potentially they could be voting to kill Socrates. Right. And he lost that vote by 30 votes. Mm. So lost meaning he 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 was found guilty. He was found guilty and sentenced to death by a margin of 30 votes. So that one was a fairly close vote. Yeah, I would yeah, 30 in a pool of 500. I yeah. mean, that's that is pretty close. Right, right. But so then after that vote, he got to say, "Okay, I know that you voted that I'm guilty, and I know that you are okay with me being sentenced to death. But here's what I think I should be punished with." Mm. And there's two main historical sources that covered Socrates' trial, but they both did it years after the fact. And they were both close associates of Socrates, so it's kind of hard to trust them completely. But they do corroborate each other, at least on a a couple points. Okay. So, according to one of them, a guy named Xenophon, Socrates refused to offer an alternative penalty because that would essentially be a guilty plea. And there's a couple different texts that you can read about the last days of Socrates' life and everything leading up to the trial. And Plato's version kind of says the same thing, but not as much. It's mostly just like, oh, I see that this is like a trend in his thinking throughout these three Mm. different documents where he didn't want to offer a punishment because offering a punishment is basically saying I'm guilty. And people who aren't guilty don't want to be punished. Right. Right. And so he didn't offer a guilty plea or, a you know, counter punishment. According to Plato, he kind of alluded to this, but then he was like, okay, here's what I think might be appropriate. And he was kind of an ass about it, actually. <laughs> Surprised. <laughs> like, in, in context, it's not terrible, but it's also not great. So he suggested that because he was a public figure, and had only ever done good and had never intentionally done bad, that his punishment should be that he would be able to live off of the city and be provided free meals. Uh, (laughs) How is getting a meal ticket a punishment, my guy? Yeah, yeah. Mm, (laughs) So mm, not not really working for me. And as you read through it, like, you can see him reacting to the jurors who are just allowed to, like, yell at him. And he's allowed to, like, talk to Meletus. It is not at all, like, defense and prosecution speeches like like we have now. So he's just talking. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. I can tell you didn't like that. So um, <laughs> what if I what if I only paid a fee? He suggested he would only have to pay a fine of anywhere from 30 minas, which he could only pay one of, and his family and friends, Plato included, would have to contribute to because he was so poor. Sorry, guys, uh, but pick up the tab. Thanks. Well, and, like, when I first saw this, I was like, okay, yeah, just throw your friends under the bus. Right. But because you could talk to each other during this trial, 
he he had all of his friends essentially sitting. He was able row. to. So he was able to be like, hey, hey, hey. Guys, well, and they were like, no, 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 no. no. We'll, we'll pay. We'll pay because okay. we want you to get out of here. And you mm. are subge- suggesting some nonsense that no one is going to agree to. Right. <laughs> and so he could either pay that, which he could only pay himself in part, or he could pay 25 to 100 drachmas, which one minute is 100 drachmas. But, you know, they were they were like not happy with this. And I know this is a lot of currency that isn't being used right now. So I did some math. Initially, he said, okay, I can pay 30 minutes. And 30 minutes, if I were to translate it to 2019 money, because that's what I was able to find, that's equivalent to about eight and a half years of wages for the average free Greek worker. Oh, wow. So in 2019 money, if he were to say, this is what I can pay, but I need assistance from my friends, he's saying I can pay roughly $300,000. Oh, so not a, I mean, so he wasn't offering a small amount of money. No. As it sounds. Okay. Right. Or, or if I just pay it on my own, what I can afford to pay is about one mina or a hundred drachmas, and that's closer to $10,000 still not a small amount of money right and so it did sound kind of offensive at first and the jurors were offended but it wasn't a small amount of money but they were also offended because he was like i think that i should not be punished and i should have an anti-punishment of living off the state yeah but the entire time he had been talking as well and he comes into the trial talking like this where he's like i know that you guys think that I'm a shithead because my arguments, like, you don't think that they're very good, but they always end up winning. And, like, you think that my Mm -hmm. weak argument can be strong arguments. And I know that that's why I'm here today. But that's how I'm (laughs) going to talk here today. And so he just... He's doubling down for sure. Yes, he's just talking like himself. And he's like, I don't know how you can expect me to talk any way other than like myself. And I'm not going to flagellate myself. And I'm not going to get on my knees and beg you to spare my life because I know this is a death penalty. I'm just going to be me. And being him is kind of irritating. And so he used what a lot of scholars are referring to as big talk, which people think that maybe that's part of the reason that they voted against him and they voted for the death penalty is because he was using this big talk. And they were like, Jesus Christ, you are irritating. Like, I can't have any sympathy for you, dude. But it could also be that he was like, I just have to live live my life as Socrates and I can't live my life any other way. So I'm going to be me. I'm going to live my authentic life. Right. Be authentically (laughs) me. I mean, good for him, I guess. Yeah. So much good that it did for him. So he suggests, you know, this is my counter penalty idea. And after after he suggests this, they're put to a vote. They're like, okay, do you like Socrates' counter penalty idea or do you still want the death penalty? And during this vote, he lost the favor of 80 more jurors. Oh, no. Who had originally been like, no, no, no death penalty for you. Yeah. Yeah. After he was like, I should be penalized by living off the state. They were like, kill him. (laughs) Yeah, kill kill this man. I mean... (laughs) It's it is pretty boisterous and pretty flagrant just be like, so not only do I not want to die, but I want you to take care of me now. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so was this the with this last vote was the end all be all. This is the one that was the like nail in his coffin. Yeah. They were like, okay, it's you know, you are guilty and it's penalty by death. And I kind of thought that like Hemlock maybe was 
his decision or they really had something against him so they were like let's pull out something weird apparently this was a fairly standard death penalty at the time oh okay but the irony is that this is a type of death penalty that was actually it was invented i guess or it was first employed by the 30 tyrants by the oligarchs who had overthrown the democracy that they then got it back from and it's like okay so you're gonna hate everything that they did with reason i suppose but then hold on to this weird death penalty that was like very much so like a vengeance penalty like poisoning somebody but making them drink it themselves like yeah that's i mean that's an extra level of fear and mm -hmm. menace like to it like or maliciousness like yeah it because that would that would be like okay you're being put to death by the electric chair you have to flip the switch yourself right like like i don't know Mm -mm. no thank you and i don't think i'm not sure but based on what i read because socrates maintained he was like i am very pious i worship and love the gods they're just different gods than you think i should worship and that's Mm. part of the issue and he was never like oh, the suicide is going to make it so that I don't have a place in the afterlife. I mean, there was Hades, but I don't I don't think that there was any risk of him going to Hades because of suicide. So it wasn't gotcha. like it wasn't like that. It was just that where it was like your hand's going to bring this cup to mm-hmm. your face and kill yourself. Yeah. And what's also interesting is that this shows that they were very, very well acquainted with the effects of hemlock in, you know, 399 BCE, or in the case of when the tyrants came up with this, 404 BCE. Because they, I mean, they knew that it worked. Right. And actually, in the play The Frogs by Aristophanes, which was written around 405 BCE, hemlock is described in some detail for the suicide of women, which strongly indicated that it was a somewhat well-known plant and that they understood, like, dosages and they understood what the symptoms would look like. Mm. So... Like, common people who could go to the place, like, they were familiar with this plant. Like, everybody knew that it was poison. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just, like, only executioners and people Mm -hmm. who were, like, medicine types. Right, right. Gotcha. His story doesn't quite end there, though. It doesn't quite end with the sentencing. He was found guilty. He was sentenced to death. And then he was sent to jail and awaited his execution. But his case occurred during a religious festival in Athens. And during this festival, a ship was sent to the island of Delos to commemorate the return of the mythical hero Theseus. But during the time that the ship was away, executions were not permitted. And I don't know what else was not permitted, Mm. but executions were not. And so Socrates spent an extra month in prison awaiting his death. While living on this borrowed time, Socrates was visited by a friend named Crito, who, according to Plato, tried to convince Socrates to escape to jail, but Socrates refused. And Crito, or Crito, I don't know how you pronounce it, but he was actually like, he had friends who would come in from outside of Athens with money to contribute to this smuggling operation, and he was like pissed that Socrates was like, no, I'm going to stay. And his reason for staying was that it was based on a persuade or obey doctrine, which stated that every citizen, every citizen should either persuade the state or obey it, which is like a weird argument for somebody who is possibly prosecuted for things that could amount to sedition. Right. Right. Like, 
he's he's saying in one hand don't like or listen to the state do everything the state says when he's being brought up on charges yeah for the exact opposite well and during his like speech he also said that if you know hypothetically if you guys were to let me go and you were to say we're not going to kill you if you stop philosophizing and never do it again he was like well i would keep philosophizing i'm not going to stop doing that Mm. So what? what's with this persuade or obey? Like, right. that doesn't make any sense. No. So there, there are parts that contradict, but according to this document, he was like, no, 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 I lost my case. And, you know, not everybody who loses their case has great friends like you who are willing to bail them out. So shouldn't I acknowledge my privilege? Like, is kind of almost what he's saying. Right, right. And just, like, deal with this like any other person would. I don't know. It was fucking weird. It was really fucking weird. He he just was, you know, like, I'm going to philosophize myself to death. <laughs> Apparently so, because, I mean, just the contradictions of it are a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Right. Sure. Or it could be, because this was another document written years after the fact. This mm. whole thing, this whole conversation that they had could have been a total fabrication. Gotcha. Yeah. So... He had a month to fuck around and stay, you know, decide to stay in prison and just know that he was going to die once that ship came back. But it's also weird that, like, there's this debate over, like, whether or not he would have been able to escape. Because it's like, was Athenian prison easy to escape from? Mm. Like, if you had the money, as money all that it took. It took right, like, <laughs> just bribe a guard and be like, hey, yo, so um, I'm going to, I'm going to step out. I got to go. Unlock, unlock this. You look the other way. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Right. So now, now we're going to get to the execution. And you would think that that would be clearer than the details of the trial or this conversation with his friend. But no. No, no, no. Of course not. Because <laughs> this all happened like 2,400 years ago. So nothing is going to be clear. Right. <laughs> so the story we all think we know is that Socrates' execution ordered a cup of poison derived from hemlock be prepared for him to drink, and a state ordered suicide, and then he died. However, I feel like Marissa Tomei, <laughs> however, <laughs> however, there are a couple different poisonous plants that have, throughout mankind and by different translations, been called hemlock. Mm. And not all of them produce the same symptoms Socrates just suffered as described by Plato. Because Plato was there Pla with, like, yes. he he accompanied his him through this, yes. right? Yes, gotcha. So of the four texts that are central to the trial and then his execution, Plato was present for two. Probably okay. the two most important because the other two are just, like, supporting documents. Mm -hmm. So he was there at the trial and he was there at the execution. Gotcha. So... Did Plato erroneously describe the execution and death of Socrates because he wanted to play down the drama and violence surrounding the death of his friend and teacher, possibly out of respect, or because he was traumatized by right. the actual events? Or is it because the hemlock given to Socrates was not the hemlock we presume it to be? Mm. Yes. Like how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop, the world may never know. True. But we can examine all the possibilities. So, all right, the first hemlock that we're going to talk about is Conium maculatum. It's okay. a member of the Apaceae family and is one of the most poisonous plants. It is also hmm. called 
poison hemlock. To because it's the poisonous one. It's the poisonous one. Gotcha. It contains some piperidine alkaloids, but primarily the one of interest is conine. Unlike poison hemlock, water hemlock shows its effects through cicutoxin. And okay. so we already have poison hemlock and water hemlock. Okay. And what's interesting about those two is that poison hemlock is the conium maculatum. But the water hemlock is cicuta verosa. And the Greek word for hemlock, which hasn't been described as water or poison, is cicuta. Oh, okay. So was it the water hemlock? Was it the one that's less poison? So is the water hemlock also poisonous, just less poisonous? Less poisonous and in a different way. Yes. Okay, got it. And poison hemlock is often easily mistaken as water hemlock because they are similar in appearance and they belong to the same family. Poison hemlock is a tall plant with hollow purplish spotted stems. So if anybody knows what um, the flowers of onion or carrot look like, mm -hmm. that's what poison and water hemlock essentially oh, look like. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that that is a reason that it is today still dangerous, like that confusion over what the plants look like, but we mm. will get there. Okay. So conine which is that alkaloid in poison hemlock, blocks spinal reflexes through action on nicotinic receptors. So the same receptors that nicotine affects. And so mm -hmm. if anybody remembers what we talked about in the nicotine episode, same stuff. So they produce an initial stimulus followed by a depression of the autonomic ganglion. And in high dose, they stimulate the skeletal muscles and have a subsequent neuromuscular blockage on the receptors. And so mm. this looks like outwardly paralysis, so this flaccid paralysis. And then um, you end up with nerve paralysis, nausea, vomiting, salivation, tachycardia, confusion, and then death. And that mm. can happen within 15 minutes to an hour after ingestion. Oh, shit. So very quick. It can happen very quickly, yes. And poison hemlock does seem like it would be a reasonable thing to be administered because it's native to Europe, Northern Africa, and Western Asia. So it would be in the same region. Common names for poison hemlock is poison parsley, carrot fern, conium, spotted hemlock. And actually its Latin name means that it's spotted. And so that's how you mm. differentiate it from water hemlock. Oh, okay. Um, but what's interesting is that fire ants actually contain the same uh, piperidine alkaloids. Oh, Interesting. Isn't, yeah, isn't that weird? And apparently, conine is lethal in a dose of about 150 milligrams. So not a lot. Not a lot. I don't know how much of the plant that means, but it's a pretty sure. small amount. And smaller doses than that can still produce the same sort of neurotoxic effects and can cause kidney failure, but they don't necessarily kill you. Gotcha. Okay, so cicutoxin, cicuta, water hemlock, also native to Europe. All parts of this plants are poisonous, and absorption of cicutoxin can actually happen through the skin as well oh, as orally. Sure. Symptoms of milder early poisonings of cicuta, so of that water hemlock, also include nausea, vomiting, gastric discomfort, and that can begin 15 minutes after consumption, followed by sweating, dizziness, salivation, respiratory distress, cyanosis, and progressively violent seizures. And so this does sound fairly similar to poison hemlock, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, close. 
But the symptoms are different because poison hemlock has more violent characteristics. Because it goes right for the spine. Pretty much, yeah. And okay. it causes a lot more of the, I mean, it causes the flaccid paralysis and then it can, can cause seizures. So but they both happen pretty quickly, though. They both happen pretty quickly. So let us go to Plato's description of Socrates' death. Okay. He begins by saying that Socrates was, was told by the executioner to walk around until his legs felt heavy after drinking the poison, and then he was supposed to lay on his back after his legs felt heavy, so he does that. He started to feel a loss of feeling beginning in his feet and traveling up his legs, and his legs were described as cold and stiff. And then the cold and stiff feeling traveled up his abdomen, and this was verified by the executioner or the prison warden. He wasn't a doctor, but he was just there to oversee the execution. And then upon reaching the level of his heart, this coldness and stiffness reaching his heart, he just dies suddenly and peacefully. Mm. And that's it. So if the citizens of Athens knew based on plays or even based on accidental ingestions what hemlock poisoning looked like, why would Plato lie? Yeah. And especially because like there what's were... what's the point? What's the point of him lying? What, what's the point? And there were 16 other witnesses to Socrates' death in particular, and mm. they could have come forward and been like, that's not what it looked like. That's not what happened. But we also need to examine what does he mean by cold? Was Socrates literally becoming cold or was he just unmoving? Because this could be a reference mm. to a humoral description that you have, you know, hot and cold like diseases you have wet and dry diseases and they don't always mean like a hot hacking cough is hot and right. wet they were described in these humoral ways so that you knew what kind of uh, medicines to administer and so was it cold as far as the humors went and the medicine of the time went mm -hmm. and he doesn't describe socrates as being stiff like was he actually stiffening because his muscles were tensing or was socrates just like oh my legs feel stiff but he was experiencing a flaccid paralysis and we can't know right like is it stiff like i can't move it or is it stiff like i am flexing the muscles and like contracting like, right 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 and so speaking of well-known that same play the frogs that the suicide by hemlock was described for women. Heracles is, is talking to Dionysus, who, for whatever reason this play, Dionysus is trying to kill himself so that he can come back a better poet. So he's trying to decide mm. which way to kill himself. And Heracles says, Then there's a track, a short and beaten cut by pestle and mortar. And Dionysus says, Hemlock, do you mean? So you have to grind up the hemlock, that's what I mean. Uh, and Dionysus says, no, that's too deathly cold away. You have hardly started ere your shins get numbed. Which does sound an awful lot like Plato's description of hemlock poisoning. Yeah. And so the problem could stem from the translation into Greek. And so are we talking about poison hemlock, that conium, or are we talking about water hemlock, which is also poisonous? So it's we kind of hard know. to yeah it's kind of hard to tell because we don't know if Plato is giving an accurate description. Either sure. way, it kind of sounds inaccurate because you would expect some sort of vomiting or convulsion and well, something that's just kind of devoid of any dignity at the end of your life. Yeah, because it's it all sounds too um, peaceful. Yes, like yes. it sounds too peaceful for an execution. Right, and it could just be that Hemlock 
poison or water, whichever it was, was only part of the components that was administered to Socrates to kill mm. him. That there was, like, could have been something else in there that yeah. had added effects. Mm -hmm. Because poison hemlock, dangerous as it was, had actually been used medicinally for quite some time. The dose makes the poison. Mm -hmm. A second century BCE army doctor described hemlock poisoning, but they also knew that it could be re used to relieve pain in like breast tumors and pain oh. in the joints, things like that. And so like they did know that they could use it on its own or mix it with things. And so is it that they mixed it with something and that's why maybe he didn't have any of the muscle contractions that you'd think he would have because maybe they mixed it with some sort of like opiate or something sure 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 that may that could make sense so makes sense is it possible to survive hemlock poisoning if caught early enough because i mean i know you said that death can happen within 15 to 60 minutes and that's not like you a lot of people like if you ate it accidentally because you thought it was carrot and then you're going to the hospital but is it possible to survive it if it weren't an execution <laughs> yes actually yes oh okay i found an article where a six-year-old so pretty young kid ate hemlock in her yard for whatever reason. They said that it was a misidentification, and I was like, she's just eating grass. She's just eating, and she's six. She's <laughs> eating things that are on the ground. Right. As a um, six-year-old does. And so I'm pretty sure this was poison hemlock, and she okay. was brought to the ER with symptoms two hours after ingesting it. She was treated and discharged with a full recovery after three days. Oh, wow. Okay. So... Yeah, if you're not intentionally trying to kill somebody and you don't wait for that 15-minute hour window to close, totally. It can be treated with atropine, and that's really important in the treatment. If it's a mild case, then it can be treated more easily. If you eat seeds or flowers, they contain the highest amounts of conine. And so that's going to be a little bit more difficult. But, yeah, you can totally survive this. All right. Definitely. Very cool. That's not always the case on the show, so it's nice to have one that you actually can survive. And it's so weird that you can since it was used as an execution. It's like, oh, we could have intervened any time. <laughs> but we chose not to. We chose not to. This was a death sentence. Yeah. So is there anything else that I wanted to say? The bird thing was interesting to me. Oh, I... yeah. Yeah. So I have in my notes that birds do not experience conine toxicity, but they have, they can be a vector for the poisoning. And so... If you eat a bird who has eaten conine or, you know, poison hemlock, they may not die, but you can die, which I think is interesting because I always just assumed that, like, we learned as humans what is safe by watching the animals, and there are so many plants where that is not the case. No, right. <laughs> there, no, we are, we are easily uh, killed. <laughs> Very easily killed. But dogs can't have chocolate and avocados, so yeah. everybody's got their thing, right? Yeah, I suppose so, but... <laughs> It's it's not one of those things that you could check for. And so it's like it it just happens and nature yeah. is metal and then you die. Right. Yeah. But so, yeah. So we don't know if Plato's description of Socrates's death is accurate. I guess there was a, a physician who in the 19th century tested hemlock on himself because they did that a lot. And he tested rats. <laughs> And he found that the symptoms actually matched up with Plato's description. Even and though... was this poison or water? Poison hemlock. Okay. Poison hemlock. Even though, 
you know, there is a contradiction because there was no abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, everything you would expect. So maybe, like you said, the dose makes the poison. We say it every fucking episode. <laughs> maybe that was the case. Maybe they did mix it with something else. Maybe it was water hemlock, and then it was mixed with something else, and that accounted for why it wasn't such a violent mm -hmm. end. Mm -hmm. Or maybe Plato just lied. But if Plato lied about this, can we believe anything else Plato ever said? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the, the thing that I just had, like... I don't understand the point of lying about it. Like, like yeah. what would be, what would be the point? Like, there's nothing to be gained by talking about his death in a different way, I suppose. I mean, the only examples I can think of are perpetuations of propaganda, you know, where like leaders have died and they have had this like miraculous sort of death that was mm. peaceful or they said something that was just like really poignant and then they left but that's all propaganda and you would think that plato and his contemporaries would not be pushing propaganda even if it was like oh my old friend died in this really peaceful way because he lived a good life like just yeah, nobody I, I nobody would buy that no i don't think so i don't think so and i don't think that anybody expects a execution to be peaceful but it does kind of sound like it wasn't the worst death i like, mean it could have been a lot worse i think yeah yeah definitely could have been a lot worse so who knows yeah and who if they, knows if they gave him something as a painkiller because it could have been like a mixture like we do with lethal injections where he was so peaceful because as he was experiencing creeping paralysis he was like oh I don't feel anything, actually. This is I'm fine. I'm high as fuck. I'm high as balls. Peace <laughs> out, bitches. Yeah. So I I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this a lot. I I liked getting away from uh, more current current, <laughs> current things. No, this was a nice this was a nice detour. Thanks for taking us tripping through time. Oh, totally, totally. I look forward to the rest of the season as well. I think that it will be less heavy. <laughs> Ooh, I'm here for that. <laughs> but no promises, because <laughs> I know I know we have something on the docket that I will not state, but you and I know what it is. And uh, Yes, yes. Yeah, it could get fucked, so we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fogweaver. More of their music can be found on bandcamp.com. Lethal Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dineko. Stay safe, and remember, the dose makes the poison.